Uh, by the way, you can be turning in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. And uh, uh, I want to share with you, you know, we had a fundraiser for Emerson Cates, who is the six-year-old with cancer, a member of our church, the family. And uh, uh, I don't think we've ever given you the total that we raised in the uh, fundraiser. And also, some people just gave offerings. Anyway, that total amount was $6,600. So thank you to everyone who participated in that. And, and you gave, and you, or you, the, his ministry who cooked all the food and everything. Thank you so much. We praise the Lord. The Lord is good, isn't he? Now, we've been in a study on the unseen world. We've looked at God himself. We've looked at angels. Oh, I can't walk, can't turn too far away from this one. And uh, we've looked at Satan. We've looked at demons. We have looked at then the abodes, the dwelling places that are unseen. We looked at hell and Hades and Tartarus and the abyss. We looked at heaven. And today I'm going to tie up some loose ends about heaven for you, I think. And we're in Revelation 21. We've turned there now. And uh, some people would say that's the passage that where we have the most information about heaven, and they'd be right. We're not going to look at the whole chapter, of course, just a few verses. So with that in mind, we're thinking about heaven today. With that in mind, look at verse 1 of chapter 21. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth was passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, that's the Apostle John, who's God's giving the visions to, Jesus meeting with him. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together today, for the beautiful singing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're our rock and our redeemer. Thank you that you have cleansed us in your blood so that we know heaven is our home. If someone's here today that doesn't know that, we pray this would be the day they would say yes to you, Lord Jesus. Speak to us now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Two weeks ago on a Sunday, Karen and I, we were not here. Dr. Miller spoke and preached that morning a great message but we were out of town because it was our 51st wedding anniversary and uh, we went to a place called the cove up in the mountains of Asheville it is uh, the Billy Graham training center and uh, the church had given us a three-night gift last year on our 50th wedding anniversary and we just couldn't find a place to fit in our schedule to go until the next year. So we went uh, and was there on this past, or two Sundays ago. The, uh, sometimes when you go to the, to the cove, there's somebody's preaching each evening, or maybe somebody's teaching, or maybe there's, uh, there's music and worship in the evening, uh, and those are sprinkled out all along the year. What we went to was a, was a personal spiritual renewal. And uh, the, uh, by the way, the cove doesn't have TV, and, uh, but it, it is absolutely beautiful and hiking trails everywhere. And, uh, but they want you to come for this spiritual retreat. They want you to come. They in give you instructions. Bring some books to read. 
So we brought some books to read. They gave us a couple of little books when we checked in. And uh, so it was, uh, it was beautiful and de delightful and we enjoyed it. Thank you a year later for your gift of sending us there. But this is what, I said all that to get to this. We met some very interesting people. When they fed you three meals a day and, and the tables were marked off for the people who were on the spiritual retreat and so you had to sit with a certain amount of people. And the tables were round, about four couples, four or five couples around the table, or, or for that matter, it didn't have to be couples. You could have about 10, eight to 10 people. And uh, in the middle was a lazy Susan, so you know you spun that thing around to get stuff. So anyway, I wanted to give you the setting. We're sitting around, and uh, with the same people every meal for three days, you know. And we met some interesting people. We met a, a young man from uh, Rwanda, right in the middle of the continent of Africa. He was a tall, handsome man, slender, and. Uh, his, uh, we found out he was from Rwanda and so forth, and so Karen and I decided we'd ask him about how he came to Christ the next meal. But I looked up Rwanda when I got back. I Googled it, you know, and, uh, and I knew it was a third world country, but I had forgotten that there was a great civil war going on years ago that ended in uh, 94. And, uh, and it is a third world country, uh, so it is uh, uh, economically low on the scale. But this young man was quite impressive. So the next day, uh, we, we did, or the next meal, we asked him, when, how and when did you come to Christ? I thought he might tell something about the war or something like that, you know, but it, it, uh, it wasn't that complicated. It sounded like somebody growing up in America. He said this, I was born into a home that believed in God, we were Catholic. And uh, my parents were Catholic and, and uh, I grew up that way. So I, he said, I believed in God my whole life. He said, but when I became an adult, something was missing. I, I just had no peace, no joy in my life. He said, then I heard someone explain that it's not believing there is a God, but it's having a relationship, a personal relationship with Christ. He said, so I trusted Christ as my Savior, and, uh, and I got that peace and joy that had been missing. So it was a sweet, wonderful testimony. And then we found out he was a youth pastor at a church in Rwanda. Well, now forgive me for, for prejudging this, but I pictured in my mind like a missionary church, you know, and uh, maybe a small gathering somewhere. Well, he went online and showed us his church, and right in the middle of Rwanda, there were, it was a mega church, 3,000 people on a Sunday morning. And he wasn't just the youth pastor, he was one of many youth pastors in that ministry. And the, the, um, the clip he showed us, the uh, song they were singing was one of the songs we sing right here in the United States, and we sing it in English, they were singing it in English. Swahili was his first language, but he spoke English well, but he had that wonderful African accent, you know, it's so beautiful. And, uh, uh, and he was 
saved and serving the Lord in this beautiful church. Then there was a man, a young man, who was a solo pastor of a small church up there in the mountains, not far from where we were. And he was born and grew up right there in the mountains. He got saved, was called to preach, and was pastoring a small mountain church. And then there was a woman there. She was a small woman. And she was older than Karen and I. She and her husband was there. She also had a beautiful accent. Karen and I love to hear her talk. She was born in Russia during the years of the Soviet Union. You know, the Soviet Union, Stalin and his communist group over a period of many years executed as many as 61 million people. Some think that number's higher, some think it's lower. So Christians were a big part of that. They were the ones being put to death because this was an atheist regime and they wanted to get rid of Christians. They tore down churches, burnt churches, and executed church leaders and so forth. And she grew up in that. She was a lawyer. And she had been a law professor teaching in a university. And uh, she came to Christ there in the Soviet Union. Now, we did not get a chance to ask her the details. I really wanted to hear her details. But that's all we, that's all we know, what I've said to you. So Karen and I have said, we can't wait till we get to heaven. We're going to find this lady and uh, say, uh, tell us the rest of your story. We want to hear your story, you know. I, I kind of feel like in heaven, one of the things we'll enjoy doing is listening to each other's stories. How did you meet him? This is the way I met him. And you tell your story. Well, so this woman was very interesting. She and her husband both were serving faithfully in a church. And uh, so, again, all of these saved and serving. And then we met about the sweetest people Karen and I have ever met. And they would have fit in perfect right here at our church. They were Asian. They were from South Korea. And uh, they were a little younger than us, but pretty close to our age. And uh, you may remember that the biggest gathering, the first time there was a million people gathered together for a particular event was in Seoul, Korea in 1973 for the Billy Graham crusade. There was three million people in, that attended in a five-day period, but in, at one time, there was 1.1 million people in the service. It was the largest ever in the history of mankind. And, uh, and that was in Seoul, Korea. This lady sitting next to me was there. She was in that crowd of a million people. She was 10 years old. And her mother and father were Christians, and her mother had taken uh, she and her sister to hear Billy Graham preach. And she, she told us they had sack lunches, and you know they had this and that with them and so forth. They had been, now this couple from South Korea, they lived in Atlanta. 
and had been in the same church 20 years serving the Lord. One more, there was a young woman. She was unmarried, and she grew up there in the mountains as well, and she was serving the Lord in a, uh, uh, a pro-life ministry there in the mountains. So right there at the table, there was people from four continents, from Africa, Asia, and Europe, and North America. And we were all sitting there together. And the one thing, we had so many things different about us, but the one thing we had in common was all of us were redeemed by the blood of Christ. One day in heaven, chapter 5 of Revelation says there's going to be a great crowd you can't number from every tribe and nation and tongue, language, that is people group, and they're going to sing together. And the one thing they'll have in common is they've been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Boy, that's what makes heaven heaven, isn't it? So, they were saved and serving. Well, with that idea of heaven, let's look back at our text. In, on verse 1, John speaking here, the human author is John, inspired, of course, by the Holy Spirit. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is the 33rd time John had said, I saw. Because the Lord Jesus was showing him things that are going to happen in the future. And that's the book of Revelation. It's a book about the future. And Jesus was showing the future to John. And John then wrote down what Jesus told him and showed him. And now you and I can read it ourselves. And so uh, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven uh, and earth was passed away and there was no more sea. So how does a new heaven and earth tie into heaven, God's abode? Well, let's think about it for a moment. Now, there are two different opinions on how we get this new heaven and new earth. The Bible says the, the first one uh, had passed away, verse 21. And verse 5, by the way, if you've got your Bibles open, notice right there in the middle, God speaking from the throne, Behold, I make all things new. Some scholars see the earth is renovated by fire and others see that it is destroyed by fire and the new heaven and new earth is a totally new creation. Now you can make an argument for both views. But either view you take, the truth is, one day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And you and I are going to be a part of that. If you're redeemed, you'll be a part of that. And uh, if you look, for instance, in Isaiah 65, there's a reference there to a new heaven and new earth, and it talks about animals. The, uh, the lion will eat straw like an ox, and the animals, nothing will hurt. In all the animal kingdom, nothing will hurt anybody, or they won't hurt each other. Uh, and so in that new heaven and new earth, we know there's going to be animals, and the curse will be lifted, so there is no uh, violence. Only the redeemed are there. People by that time have new glorified bodies, like the body of the Lord Jesus after his resurrection, as we looked at last week. So a new heaven and a new earth. In uh, Second Peter, we have a, 
passage that talks about that, and it talks about the earth being uh, going through the judgment of fire and a great sound, a great explosion. And, uh, and it says, in the midst of that, it says, Seeing all this is true, what manner of people should we be, knowing that Jesus is coming back and judgment's coming and so forth, what manner of people we should be? And then it ends with the exhortation, grow in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So a new heaven and a new earth. Then here, the only thing we're told about the new heaven and new earth is there is no sea. Now, it doesn't say there's no water. It doesn't say there's no lakes and streams and rivers and ponds and all of that. It just says no more sea, the oceans. Right now, three-quarters of the, of the um, Earth's surface is covered by water. So think if, if the seas were gone right now, think how much more room we'd have, you know? Uh, and so... On that new heaven and new earth, there's going to be more room. Now, the heaven there is our atmosphere. It's not God's dwelling place. Remember, there are three heavens, the Bible tells us. The first heaven is the atmosphere above the earth. The second heaven is space. And the third heaven is God's dwelling place. So this new heaven, singular, not plural, singular new heaven, will be our atmosphere. So all of the pollution will be gone and all of the, uh, you know, bad things in the environment are going to be gone and we'll have a perfect environment. Think of it like this, the Garden of Eden. But instead of one place, all over the earth, a Garden of Eden, trees bigger than the redwoods in California, colors even more vibrant than the uh, flowers of today. And so on, just magnificent in its beauty. A new heaven, new atmosphere, and a new earth. And then notice verse 2. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now we see not only a new earth, but a new Jerusalem, a city coming down out of heaven. Now is... The new Jerusalem, is that heaven itself? No. It's a city which apparently is in heaven right now. But in this time in history, after the tribulation period and the millennial kingdom, that city is going to come down from heaven and it's coming down to earth. So is the new heaven, is the new heaven and the new earth, is that heaven? No. Is the new Jerusalem heaven? No, but it's in heaven. So I think when our loved ones die right now, when they go to heaven, this city, this new Jerusalem is there. And that's a part of, of their uh, unseen boat and, and our unseen boat when we, when we pass away from this life. But on this historical occasion, it is coming down to earth. And uh, notice it says, uh, coming down from God out of heaven. That would be God's heaven because it refers to God. It's from God. And, and it's prepared. That is, it's beautiful like a bride. It's something so beautiful it's breathtaking. You know, sometimes 
a bride with her wedding dress and all of that. When she starts down the aisle, her husband starts to cry, and uh, he's just taken back by her beauty. That's the idea here. You'll be taken back by the gr great beauty and grandeur of this place. And then, of course, it had streets of gold and gates of pearl and all those things, but we're not going to look at those things. We're, we're just looking at these verses. Uh, but we're also told the size of this city. Look over and you got your Bibles open. Look at verse 16. And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length of the breadth and the height of it is equal. So here's what we've got. We've got a uh, 12,000 furlongs wide, 12,000 furlongs in its breadth, and then its height is 12,000 furlongs. So it's built like a cube. Some people, scholars, think it's more like a, a um, pyramid. Bigger at the bottom, smaller at the top. I kind of lean towards the cube, but we're not, we, we can't know that for sure. Now, how big is 12,000 furlongs? I'm glad you asked that. 12,000 furlongs is 1,500 miles. Now, how, let's try to get that in our mind. 1,500 miles. How big is that? Look at your screen for a moment. Here's a map of the United States. 1,500 miles would run from the coast of North Carolina back into the, uh, back into the center of the United States, just into Colorado. That's 1,500 miles right there. That, the tip on the right, that's the, tip, that's the outer banks of North Carolina. Now, the, it's also that big north to south. And so from north to south, from uh, Canada to the tip of Texas is 1,600 miles. So if you take away just 100 miles, so you see my points don't go all the way to the end, uh, you got 1,500 miles. That's how big this city is. Can you imagine? And, and so it would cover a, 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 a piece of land. It would make a footprint the size two-thirds are better the size of the United States. Now that's a big city. Just in that, just right there where that corner that's pointing to the right is, North Carolina. In North Carolina there are 773 cities. Can you imagine how many cities are in all of that, that area right there? That's a huge city, isn't it? No wonder you'd be impressed when it, with it coming down out of heaven. And so you get a little bit of an idea of the size. Now, it is a cube. Here's the earth. By the way, you can see there how much water covers the earth. Again, uh, three-fourths of the earth is covered by water. That will not be so when the, um, uh, in the new earth. But this would be the size of that as a cube coming down. Notice it in the screen there. 
again, I'm putting it over the United States just so we know, because that helps us to see the size of it. So think of the bottom size. What's all that space up top? I don't know. Maybe there's like a skyscraper. Maybe there's 1,500 floors. You know, and all of them is a mile high. You know, our atmosphere, before you get to space, is only 450 miles. You could have three stories and with a full atmosphere like we have in the world today. In this city, there's, uh, there's the river of God, the stream, the trees, and so forth, in this city. Not, and also, of course, on the new heaven and the new earth. So this, this is huge. So we have then this new Jerusalem coming down, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's going to be something quite beautiful. By the way, I, d I don't want to exclude Old Testament saints from that analogy of a bride and a groom. It's used often of New Testament believers in Christ. But in the Old Testament, it's used of Jehovah and the saved, the Old Testament saints. And so... <clears throat> This analogy of a bride and a groom would apply both to Old Testament saints and New Testament saints. Now, let's pick it up in verse 3, and I've got to move quickly here. Very quickly, by the way. You've got to start listening faster, okay? Here we go, verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven. By the way, great voice, that's the 22nd time we've heard that term in the book of Revelation because God is speaking and, and sharing things with John. But this is the last time we hear it, the last of the 22 times, because this is his final revelation before God closes his book. And so he says, And I heard with a great voice out of heaven, saying, Behold, the tabernacle. The word tabernacle means dwelling place, or it really means home or house, home. The home of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? We're going to the Father's house. Amen? And it's going to be glorious. And, uh, and it says men. Now, men's used in that corporate sense like mankind. It doesn't mean the men excluding the women. It means men and women. It means mankind. But what kind of mankind? Does everybody go? Well, look a little further over. Look at, in the uh, same chapter, look at verse 24. And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it. Wow. The kings of the earth do bring their glory to it. Big shots, little shots. People from all over the world. People from every continent and every people group and every language will be there. And, but they have to be saved. Remember that group earlier was singing, we are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. So that's the people. Look at verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he said, uh, and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, He's talking to John now. 
he says, John, write these things down. Write, for these words are true and faithful. Well, let me sum up some things for you now. Look back at your screen for a moment. And uh, the eternal abode of the redeemed is made up of several components. For instance, first we have the new earth. Maybe like the original Garden of Eden, like earth today, only without the curse. More beautiful, more magnificent, more awe-inspiring. Karen and I like to walk in the woods. I think in heaven every now and then we'll say to each other, let's go for a hike. And uh, we'll go out hiking across this beautiful new earth and it'll be glorious. Usually if I, if I walk for about, a, for about an hour, I have to come back and take a nap. <laughs> Any of you like that? You know what I mean? But with that new glorified body, we can just walk, we can walk two or three days and we can say, hey, you ready to go back? No, let's walk another two or three days. Let's go. And we, you can explore the, the new earth. Heaven's not going to be a boring place, an indiscriminate place of spirits flitting around and all of that. It's a real place with real people, and we'll have a real body by this time. Be glorious. So we'll have access to that uh, new earth. We'll have access to the New Jerusalem, that big city that's coming down. By the way, I kept showing it on the United States because uh, it just helped us see the size. But it, it, if, it's, if there's any particular place on earth, it would be it's probably over Jerusalem. Since it's the New Jerusalem, it'll, it'll be where the old Jerusalem was, perhaps. We don't know that for sure. I'm speculating. And then uh, the, this is the, that's now the, this is not the third heaven, but coming down to earth in the future. Uh, and so the third heaven is where God dwells, of course. And then the third thing is the third heaven itself, the dwelling place of God today. We pray our Father which art in heaven, that's where he's at. And it's the dwelling place of soul and spirits of believers who have passed away. <coughs> If I die tomorrow, that's where I would go. Not because I'm good or because I've preached for 45 years. I would go there because Jesus shed his blood for me on Calvary's cross. <laughs> and I'm just like every other sinner who needs forgiveness and redemption through the blood. Amen? So, if you put the three of these together, I think there you have the abode of God's people in eternity. We have access to God's heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. We can do a lot of exploring. It'll take us about 10 million years, and then we'll just be getting started, you know. Heaven. Aren't you glad heaven's a real place? Aren't you glad it's a real place where real people go? Be sure you're going. Not everybody's going. Remember who's going? The ones that can sing redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Chapter 21, the nations, that is the people of the nations of the world, out of all the world, it's the ones who are saved. That is, they've trusted Christ as Lord and Savior. Christ has come into their life and forgiven their sins and given them a home in heaven. If you're not sure, be sure. And then... Uh, one closing thought for us as believers. 
We didn't take time to look at it because we're trying, kind of pushed for time today. But in Second Peter in chapter 3, it says, Seeing these things are true, Jesus is coming back, judgment is coming. Seeing these things are true, we ought to live with, with holy conduct and godliness. These truths ought to inspire us to live right. To love the Lord and serve Him with all of our heart. Then the very last part said we should grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can we grow? Let me encourage you. This is still early in the new year. Come to church faithfully and regularly and hear the preaching of God's Word. That's so important. You grow by hearing the Word and by enjoying singing with your brothers and sisters and fellowship with brothers and sisters. Be sure you're, you come to church in this year. And then, secondly, everybody ought to get involved in a Bible study. You know, we, we have Bible studies in the morning and in the evening, so we make it easy on you. You can, you can come in the morning or the evening. And uh, we've got a Bible study for every age group. You ought to be a part of that because you get to know the people. You know, you can't get to know everybody in the audience of three, 400 people, but you can get to know a handful of people in a class. <coughs> Develop friendships. And not only that, you're learning the Word together. We have some wonderful teachers. And then let me encourage you to get into the Word yourself. Read the Bible every day. You might say, I don't understand it very well. A lot of people say that. That's okay. Just keep reading. And take what you do understand. Let God feed you with that. And the more you read, the more you'll understand. The more He'll feed you. And the more you'll love it. And so forth. You could start by reading the Gospel of Mark. And then just jump to Acts and read right on through the New Testament. That would be a good way to start. But be sure heaven is your home. Bow with me please. And by the way, those who have children that are going to be baptized, if you would slip on out now and go and pick up the children and bring them back to the service, please. Maybe with their heads bowed, just say, Preacher, I'm not sure if I died today I'd go to heaven. Now no one's going to embarrass you. No one's going to come to you or anything. We're just going to pray for you. You say, Preacher, pray for me. If I died today, I'd, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Would you slip your hand up by that? You're saying, pray for me. Anybody like that? Heads are bowed. I'm looking around the room. Hold it up long enough for me to look around and see if there's anybody. Yes, God bless you. I see that hand. You may put it down. Yes, God bless you. Anyone else? Slip your hand up. Preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure. All right. I wonder, with our heads still bowed, how many would say, Preacher, I do want to grow this year. I want to grow in a holy conduct and in godliness. And so I want to be faithful to church and Bible study and, and uh, reading the Word myself. If that's your heart's cry, would you raise your hand all over the auditorium? Yes, many hands all over the auditorium. You may put them down. God bless you. The Lord sees our hands. He sees our hearts, doesn't he? Father, thank you for this time together. You've seen the hands of your people. May each of us be faithful to the worship and to the preaching of the Word and be faithful in a Bible study and to reading the Word ourselves. May we get in there alone with you and let you teach us 
from your book so we can grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus and grow in grace. In Christ's name. Before we close, there was one person who raised their hand about salvation, just not sure. I pray that person will come to be sure, completely sure. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.